And welcome back to an episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. We're Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. We're recording this Sunday night after the Jets nearly did the impossible and upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Michael, I, I think there's a ton of great stuff to take away from this game. Obviously a frustrating ending, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, you can argue this is the best case scenario when you think of the draft picks or whatnot, but damn, did I really want that win at the end? Uh, what was your initial reaction to how Zach Wilson played and how the team looked uh, on Sunday? Yeah, I, I think even despite uh, them blowing it at the end and this being a disappointing loss, it, it was still a positive overall game. I think considering the opponent they were playing, this was a much better performance than the previous week, even though they won that game. Um, and it's probably their third best performance of the season after the Bengals and Titans game, uh, those two games. They played really well, and there was a lot of positive stuff to take out of this. And most importantly, above all, that being the play of Zach Wilson. So uh, it was disappointing. I was invested and hoping to get that elusive win over Brady, just one more win over him to send him away forever. But we didn't get it. He had to stomp on our dreams one more time. But uh, in spite of that, you know, being objective, just looking at the bigger picture, uh, there was a lot of good that happened, in, even even though they couldn't hold on to the lead. Yeah, I mean, how great would it have been if, our, if we had three of our five wins would have been against Tennessee, Cincinnati, and Tampa Bay. I mean, the defending Super Bowl champions. And we kind of said it at the outset of the season, which is, you know, obviously I think we expect, you and I both expected maybe a more competitive season and maybe a stronger season from Zach Wilson, at least at the start of the year. Um, but we're optimists. So generally speaking, I mean, what happens is generally – doesn't always meet our expectations, but I think when we looked at the season, we thought, okay, we want to see them develop. We're going to see them. We want to see them be play good teams tight. Uh, Maybe they're going to end up losing some games. They shouldn't lose, but maybe win some games. They shouldn't. And they've done that this season. And I think this was an example of, I mean, last week was impressive just because of all the adversity of 20 players on COVID and not having Robert Sala this week is arguably more impressive. Like you said, because of the opponent, this is the defending Super Bowl champions. And I don't think, I mean, Tampa Bay certainly didn't play their best game of football, but it wasn't like Tampa Bay was dropping a ton of passes or dumb fumbles or blown coverages. I mean, the jets just played their butts off today. And when you look at the context of Zach Wilson was without his starting left tackle. I mean, if you throw Becton in there, that's two starting left tackles. His best running back in Carter goes down with a concussion uh, at the start of the game. Coleman didn't play his second best running back. His top three receivers and more uh, 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 Davis and, and Crowder were all out. I think Tyler Croft was out. Ryan Griffin was out. Dan Brown went out. I mean, you look at all the injuries that decimated the Connor McGovern or starting center was out. Zach Wilson was out there with a, I don't want to say a bunch of nobodies because they played some great football, but a bunch of unheralded guys. And he looked the the most comfortable and the most calm that we've seen him all season. He looked like he was playing football. And Michael, when we were watching this just before recording this, we were looking at it on game pass. I think the thing that stood out to me was his timing and his ability to throw with anticipation specifically over the middle, because I think we got a little bit of that in preseason when it was a little slower, but during the season, it seemed like he was struggling, especially early on going over the middle and just being a second behind and not understanding those windows in the NFL. And it looked like he was scrambling because everything was moving so fast. When you look at him in this game, his feet are calm. It looks like his mind is calm and he's just, he knows where to go with the football. He trusts his eyes. What did you see from Zach that, that uh, impressed you? And, And I think this is arguably his, his best performance of the year. I really agree on the timing because 
it just didn't seem like there was a lot of sync earlier in the year. Even when he had the Titans game, his best pre-injury performance, a lot of that was off schedule. The vast majority of it was mostly off schedule. But post-injury, even in the Houston game when the accuracy wasn't great, in the Miami game when there was, you know, pass protection issues, the timing's been getting better. There's been a lot better accuracy and precision and just camaraderie with the passing targets on the on-schedule stuff, especially over the middle, because you think about earlier in the year, like he wasn't hitting any slants, digs, anything over the middle. It was mostly stuff to the outside, you know, the occasional big play on the move. But now you look at some of his better games post-injury, the Eagles game, um, Dolphins, Jaguars. Now this game, we're seeing a lot more of that quick stuff. And these receivers with the injuries aren't separating deep, creating potential for big plays. And Zach Wilson has had to hit these short throws and lead the offense through, you know, a methodical approach more so than those big plays. And he's been able to do it. And I think that is what makes this late season surge most impressive is that the team around him is not getting better in terms of talent on paper. It's getting worse. More and more guys are getting hurt. You mentioned everyone who, was out coming into this game and then left during it. Uh, the supporting cast around him just continues to get weaker and and they're playing well. Like Dan Feeney is even playing well in the run game since he's come in. Braxton Barrios has been amazing. Um, awesome Walter and Ty Johnson were good in this game. So Kenny Yaboa showed up in this game. So guys are playing well, but still from the quarterback's perspective to be losing so many of your key veteran guys around you, but to be getting more confident in spite of that, not less, is very impressive. So um, the way he's been able to get more acclimated with the offense, more comfortable with what he's doing, play with better rhythm, and just have such good timing with his receivers on these throws over the middle, you know, anticipating throws. Like there's a throw he made to Keelan Cole last week where, you know, and it's a fairly simple throw the quarterbacks have to make. Cole's just running a dig over the middle, but when Wilson starts to wind up, there's a linebacker right in front of Cole. The window's not open yet, but he's anticipating it's going to be there because the linebacker is just sitting there and he's fixate, fixated on what's underneath. He knows Cole's going to be there. So he's hitting it with timing. And there were more throws like that in this game as well. So Definitely. the anticipation timing is all getting better and it's happening in spite of, you know, tumultuous injuries and losses around him. So it's very impressive to see. Yeah, and it seems like he's finding that balance of like of playing loose, playing off schedule, playing backyard football, but but playing within the system. And I think that was like the beginning of the this, this season. Robert Sala was talking about you know play boring football, and then a few weeks ago, you've heard Zach Wilson say, you know, I just want to play free. And I feel like the last few weeks, you've seen a good balance of that of of going through your reads, staying on time, you know, staying in the pocket, and you know, one, two, three, it's not there. Then you see that Zach Wilson magic. Uh, and I think just to go back to what you were saying about the team getting worse and like definitely on paper, that is true. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge, I think this is a, uh, you got to tip your hat to the Jets coaches in the sense that I think a lot of players have developed and gotten better throughout the season, obviously Zach Wilson, but specifically when you look at the offensive line play, when you look at where it was week one to now, and obviously chemistry is a huge part of it, but the, uh, you mentioned Dan Feeney, we saw him in preseason and you see how he's playing now. It's night and day. A guy like Kenny Yaboa is a guy who hasn't really played, but he's been out there on the practice field. 
the entire season. Uh, and it, he looks a lot better than he did in preseason. Obviously, a guy like Braxton Berrios. You go to the defensive side of the football with the DBs and Quincy Williams. You've seen a lot of young guys develop over the season, and that's what they were preaching at the beginning of the year. Now, look, are, are these all guys that you want to be starters next year? Maybe not, but these are guys who some of them are going to start, and some of them are going to be crucial depth players uh, going forward. So I think you have to be – you have to acknowledge the way the team as a whole has developed. Zach Wilson is priority number one, and he's developed – uh, the most, but you have to look at the rest of the team. I think the offensive line, specifically the depth, deserves a shout out. I mean, guys like Dan Feeney have stepped out. Obviously, George Fan has stepped up. He went down. Chuma Doga didn't have the greatest game in the world, but it wasn't. He wasn't a turnstile. He held his own, I guess. Uh, Morgan Moses has been good, and so you know when I think about Zach, uh, like you said, I th- the timing is is obviously. Uh, very encouraging. The way he's developed over the last few weeks is very encouraging because this is exactly what we wanted to see. I mean, when he was coming back from the injury, it's like, okay, we're not going to the playoffs. Just give us something because this is all we're going to have for the next, you know, eight months or whatever. Uh, these, these throws. And I guarantee you, I tweeted this out that Michael and I are going to watch this Tampa Bay Zach Wilson game probably a hundred thousand times yeah. in the off season, watch all those throws uh, just in anticipation of his second year. And I, he's really given it to us. And I think that last, this last game against Buffalo is a real opportunity to put a stamp if he has another good performance, I think you can mark this as a successful rookie season, which I don't think a lot of Jets fans were saying a month ago. I think a lot of Jets fans were saying he's significantly underwhelmed. And that may have been the case the first few weeks of the season. I think he, you know, he didn't necessarily play to everybody's expectations. Granted, the expectations were sky high. But the last few weeks, he's, he's looking like an NFL quarterback. And the thing is, is, like you said, it's not just the off-schedule stuff. Like We know he's an amazing athlete. But part of the reason the Jets drafted him was his football IQ, his ability to recall. We, we knew we were getting a workaholic and a super smart kid. And I think you're starting to see it pay off. I mean, this is film study. You're seeing him dissect a defense. His processing is getting better. You mentioned holding the linebackers. I'm trying to remember. It might have been Cole again. But there's one play in particular where he just held Devin White for about three seconds before hitting Cole right in the middle uh, of the field. And you wouldn't have seen him do that week one. You would have seen him panic. That linebacker's right there. He would have scrambled. He may have ran into a sack. Uh, he may have just thrown it and thrown the interception, but he was calm. He just moved white with his eyes and hit Cole for the first down. So I think you have to be really encouraged. And this was the first real, uh, you know, I, I guess he didn't have crazy gaudy numbers. He seems like, I mean, you were saying this, that he seems to keep getting screwed out of these touchdowns where a guy will get tackled at like the two yard line uh, or a guy will drop a touchdown or whatever. So his passing stats weren't out of this world today, but I think this is the first time maybe last week where you could say, okay, these are, legitimately like good numbers for a quarterback. And that's what we wanted. We wanted that whole game where we could say, you know, not just a good quarter of football or a good half football. This is a good full game from Zach Wilson. Um, we have to talk about the end and we will in a second because that deserves some criticism. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm blown away by, by what I've seen from him uh, today. I, I was really encouraged by the development just because he looks like a completely different quarterback than we saw a few weeks ago. And you have to tip your cap to the coaches on that one. Um, I guess let's talk about the, the fourth and one call. I mean, the explanation we got from Robert Sala was essentially that this is a play call that they used against Houston, which is, it seems like it's more so used for third and one or fourth and one, but the play call is the, the motion to, to Braxton Berrios. But if Zach Wilson sees a certain look, he should take it because he's going to get the yard there up the middle, but they call it on fourth and two Zach Wilson sees the look, he takes the ball, but the, the, coaches did not emphasize enough to him that say like, look, 
you that's the right front to run that against. But in this situation, just give it to Braxton. It's fourth and two, which is okay. A learning moment for Zach. It's, you know, a bum. It's a coach. It's a bonehead decision by LaFleur that they called the timeout and they give it, didn't give it to him. The thing that bothers me, I mean, that play bothers me, but the thing that bothers me right before that was the fact that they didn't get to the, they, they called the timeout, but they called it with like one second left in the play clock. And they only got to the line with like three seconds. When you watch Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady in that situation, and again, this is something that Zach Wilson will learn from, they get to the line and they go for the hard count because it's fourth and two. So you might get somebody to jump. I mean, God knows we've seen the Jets do it on the defensive side of the football plenty of times. Try to get them to jump. If they don't jump, you call timeout, and then you can go over your play. So that annoyed me at the start. It was like, okay, they just burned a timeout there, but they didn't even get really an opportunity to try to get them to jump. And then the fact that you didn't hammer that home that, hey, this is not an option play for you, Zach. This is a handed off to Braxton. I know there were some people going after him for calling his own number. And you can, I don't know if I'd put it like that. You can certainly criticize Zach for the decision. He shouldn't be absolved from all blame. And and certainly Sala was shielding him a little bit because he deserves some criticism and he's going to hear it in the film room. But again, this is a coaching, that's a coaching error in my mind. Michael, what did you think about first, I guess, the decision to go for it on fourth down? I know you were a big proponent of it. The the play call, the you know aftermath of it, how much blame does Zach Wilson deserve, Robert Sala, Michael Floor, just because it seems like that is overshadowing what otherwise was a terrific performance for this young team. Well, first of all, I think the decision to go for it was the right one. I absolutely think it was. It's two yards to go. You have a four-point lead just over two minutes left they have no timeouts you get two yards you win the game and you're facing tom brady you know they they were moving the ball in the jets all day you knew that they were going to be able to get down the field on you whether or not they'd score you know hopefully you you hope you'd be able to stop them but you knew it was going to be tough to stop them so don't put the game in the hands of your defense keep it in the hands of your offense get two yards try to win the game and if you don't get it the risk factor is lower than if you give the ball back because it would have to be a 93-yard drive from that point instead of the 75 it would be if you just kicked it off and had a touchback. Um, and it's you expect your defense to be able to make that stop, even against Tom Brady, whoever it is. The odds of a team driving 93 yards in two minutes with no timeouts is very low. Uh, I looked at the past 10 years, the amount of times – uh, that a team has faced that situation less than, you know, about where the bucks were two minutes, 20 seconds, fourth quarter, um, starting to drive inside their own 10, only about 4% of teams scored a touchdown in that situation. You expect your defense to be able to come through, even if you can't get those two yards. And obviously they didn't. Uh, and it took, you know, a, a freak mistake by Elijah Riley with 15 seconds left. Uh, so I think it was the right decision balancing the risk and the reward. Um, but obviously the execution of it was not good. And so those are two separate things you can, can criticize. Good decision, bad execution. Um, I think, I guess my main criticism is that I don't think, as, like, I don't think the sneak should have been on the table at all. I don't think that should have been an option. I don't think it should have been considered in any capacity in a two yard to go situation against a defensive line that's as good as theirs especially considering you know they had all their success running outside you know their edge rushers are out and that their interior d-line is still really good um but more so than any of that it's a two yard to go situation i don't think a sneak should ever be considered there so 
I guess that's my main critique about it, but obviously, you know, not the best job by Wilson, not the best communication by the coaching staff, uh, just a lot of blame to go around uh, in a, a very poorly executed situation. And where I think they made the right decision and had a chance to step on their necks, not give them a chance uh, to drive back down the field and just end it right there. Uh, but they obviously blew it with some, with some bad execution and the defense didn't hold up their end of the bargain in a situation where you should be able to hold up no matter who you are. Yeah. I mean, not to rationalize too much. I do think it, it's not necessarily that it was the ocean, the, the option was on the table. It's just in the play call. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what the play call was, but it's something, you know, like Niner jet sweep or whatever, you know, lingo that they use for that play. Zach Wilson knows that play. The, the thing that they should have hammered home was, okay, don't keep it if you see the situation. But it's not necessarily like they're, hey, Zach, you have the option to keep this. That was the, clearly they had, had no intention of him keeping it. And situationally, Zach has to know, like, look, that is in case it's third and one, and you, you're probably going to be able to pick it up. I don't think this is an example of Zach trying to be the hero. I hope not. I think this is more so Zach has been coached and trained. You see this look, you take it. I mean, it's you know, you almost get robotic in that sense. And he lacked the ability to say, okay, you know, in this situation, fourth and two with this condensed box, give it to Braxton Berrios. The play would have worked. I think that's what sucks is when you see it on, on film, it's like, oh, that was actually the perfect play call. I mean, I think he goes for six. I think that's a touchdown, but he definitely has the first down. Um, so that, that stings for sure. Um, speaking of Berrios, he is legitimately impressing. And he has been on this team since 2019. He was uh, one of Joe Douglas's first real additions. Him and John Franklin Myers are in that same uh, waiver class. Uh, and he's just been a guy who's been, you know, punt returner, wide receiver, six or seven uh, fringe roster guy. You know, he's, he's gotten some opportunities in December just because, you know, the way receivers get injured, he ends up coming in some way um, and he plays meaningful reps. And then he played a little bit at the beginning of this season. You know, you heard about he had good chemistry with Zach and like mini camp or whatever. He was dominating all over mini camp. And then uh, Jameson was hurt at the beginning of the season. So he played. But the player that we've seen the last few weeks, and this goes again to what I was saying about the player development we've seen under this team, which is what you want to see from any good coaching staff. You know, not all players that you're going to get on day one are going to be instant studs. You might have some diamonds in the rough that you have to bring out or some bad players that you turn into solid players. Barrios has turned from a solid depth, good returner, just a sound, you know, depth option for your team to a guy who legitimately could be a starting slot receiver uh, for for not just this team, but other teams around the league. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, it could be an overreaction based off a smaller sample size, but the player that we've seen the last few weeks, that's a starting receiver in the NFL. I mean, he has bailed Zach Wilson out because without Berrios, you know, Zach Wilson's making a lot happen with not many ingredients, but Berrios has been a huge part of it. I mean, I've been thoroughly impressed with him. I think he needs to be brought back. Michael, you don't seem as high on Berrios as me. I mean, not that you're not high on him. You don't think he's good, but you don't seem to be as smitten with Braxton Berrios as it seems the rest of the Jets fan, fan base, myself included, are. And, you know, I'm at the point where I'm not saying, you know, give him a $10 million extension, but bring him back. Take care of your own player. Give him an extension. He's your starting kickoff and punt returner. He's a guy that I think he's receiver number four next year. He's going to get a lot of reps in the slot. Um, receivers get injured all the time. So he's going to play at receiver number four. You could still go and attack another outside guy, but I think you let Crowder walk, you pay Barrios. It's going to be a, you know, I don't know what exactly the contract's going to be probably something similar to what Keelan Cole got. I mean, like a legitimately, you know, $5 million a year contract. 
and bring him back into this building, a homegrown talent that you stole from New England, uh, which makes it feel a lot better. What's your rationale for, for not, you know, swooning over Braxton the way the rest of us are? Well, I mean, I completely agree that he should be brought back. Absolutely. You know, he's shown to be a great fit in the offense and uh, an, an integral component with Elijah Moore out, especially on those motion plays, pre-snap, design touches on screens, end arounds, things like that. And then the returning is obviously really good. So I do think he should be brought back. It's, you know, just every player has a price. I mean, that's my only thing. I don't necessarily know what most Jets fans price tags for him are, but you know, I, I just feel like obviously there's all, there should be a lion sand because he's a good player, but he is a backup receiver and there, there's a price for that. You, you know? don't think, I you think, don't think you starter quality. I don't personally. I, I, it's my opinion, I, but I, I just don't, I, he's had a nice last few games, but again, a lot of the production is, schemed up and he's done really well in those plays he's made guys miss he's shown good vision he has great speed he's playing really well the last few weeks but still like the the body work when he has started over the past couple seasons isn't great before jacksonville they were 0 and 9 and scoring nine points per game and games where crowder was was out and he started uh and he was only Averaging about 40 yards a game. He, he had some drop issues last year. He's never been a great contested catch guy. And uh, as good as he's been, there haven't been a ton of plays in which he actually separated to make the catch. So like, he's, he's been great. And I, I'm not going to say I love him as much as everyone because clearly I don't. But I do love him. And he's been a lot of fun recently. And I definitely think he should be brought back. But I guess four million per year five max maybe i guess does that seem realistic that's, as a, a, that's a, a fair that's a fair a good price, price tag. tag yeah that's a fair price tag i think you're still underrating him yeah he's not maybe a master separator but he certainly brings the yards after the catch he's certainly a safe pair of hands he has the chemistry yeah, back. i like him a lot I, I just think there's a price tag i feel like you know he, he's not a perfect player or to me not necessarily a well, starter but not. very good backup guy could do a lot of things well and is a great returner look, and look, Great locker room guy as well. It seems I would love to have him back. Yeah, the way the way that receivers get injured, honestly, a receiver four is basically a starter. I think that he is a starting slot receiver. The only reason I, you know, I wouldn't just say okay, pay Barrios and we got our three starting receivers is just because, uh, you know, I like Corey Davis, but I think the Jets need one more Pete. Like I want them to use the Seahawks pick to either take a Traylon Burks or a Jamison Williams or you know Garrett Wilson, somebody of that to really give Zach. Uh, a ton of as many weapons as possible during his rookie contract. And then you could play Corey Davis in the slot. You might play some Elijah Moore, obviously Barrios. If he comes back, he'll be playing some slot reps, but I, he's receiver four. And I think it's for some teams, he would be a, a starting slot receiver. I get what you're saying. He's not, is he the second coming of Wayne Corbett? Maybe not, but he is a tough gritty player. And I don't think he let those types of guys go. I mean, he, he's, he's a guy who's been here for a few years and he's really carved himself out a role. And when you speak of player development, he's a guy that looks like he's improved. Is there anything that you're seeing now that, that he seems like a different player to you than maybe the beginning of the season? Because to me, I, I see, obviously we knew he had the yards of the catch, but his change of direction and his acceleration, we saw it a little bit as a punt returner, I guess, but we're really starting to see it. Maybe it's just the offense is just such a good fit for him, putting him in those spots. But it's not like he's just getting schemed up productions. Sure, there's some of that, the touchdown. They're the first touchdown today in the Philly special was that for sure. 
But there's been plenty of times on those little wide receiver screens or whatnot where he makes three or four guys miss and he gets the first down um, and those end arounds and stuff. I mean, he is, he is manufacturing yards himself. Don't, you know, don't make a mistake about it. So is there any difference you see in Braxton Berrios, the player you see now versus the one you saw in September against Carolina and New England? Well, I think one thing, even compared to last season, is that he's definitely gotten the drops down. He did drop a pretty good number of passes last year. And, and not just drops, the uh, contested situations too. But this year, um, he's catching the ball. He doesn't have many drops. The drop rate is way down. And, and you could just see, I think he's doing a better job catching the ball with his hands. And you saw it on a few different plays in, in this game. Even just on screen passes, just you know catching the ball with his hands, running through it, and getting as much yak as he can possibly get. So um, I've, I think that's something he's done better with. And, and that's huge. Because, you know, if you're going to be uh, a key backup receiver, you got to catch the ball. And that's something that Keelan Cole hasn't done especially well this year. Uh, had a big drop in this game. And that hurts for the guys that you're trying to call upon to replace your starters. But Barrios hasn't done that this year, and he's gotten better in that area. So I think that's big. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. I think now that I think about it, I mean, Cole even got $5.5 million this year, and I know he put up way bigger numbers last year than Barrios ever has as a receiver. Um, but just the number of different things Barrios brings to the table is different than Cole. I, I guess, you know, to penny pinch and not give him 5 million a year would probably be, uh, I, I don't know if you're going to get the same in some other guy you find on the street to fill his role. Right. So I'd be comfortable with 5 million per year, two years, yeah. whatever it is. I think that's a reasonable number. Yeah. So it's easy to imagine like, okay, if this guy's not an all pro, like, okay, well you can, you can draft a guy to fit in and you know, any athletic guy who can make guys miss, but the the production Barris is having is legit. And you bring up a guy like Keelan Cole. That's another spot where I think the jets have to move on. I mean, there is a world where he returns, but when I look at this receiver position, because, you know, I think, I think Cincinnati is a great team to look at for the jets in terms of uh, their rebuild. I mean, their ability, they turned it around so fast and you saw them just beat the chiefs uh, recording this on Sunday. So today for us, but whenever you're listening to this, this past week, I mean, they've looked like a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year and last year, hell, even in August, they were a team that was kind of a laughing stock and you just seen how fast they were able to turn it around. A big reason why is they've given Joe Burrow weapons. I mean, they've given him an arsenal at, at his, at his, uh, just, uh, you know, an arsenal he can use. And I think right now, you know, I, I like Corey Davis. I think Elijah Moore's a stud. Obviously, Braxton Barris is nice. I want to add another receiver. But the way receivers get hurt, these guys end up playing in December. And Keelan Cole's a guy who's, okay, he's solid depth. He's not bad by any stretch, but he dropped that big third down. He's not creating the separation that I think we thought he would. And he's not really giving much after the catch. So I think that's another spot where you can, if you really want to go all out and give Zach Wilson a deep and a strong receiving room, I think you either go and sign another vet. Uh, you know, I haven't looked too deep into the, the free agent wide receivers or you draft another guy on day three, somebody to fill that Keelan Cole spot, because I got, I have not been impressed with Keelan Cole this year. And I, I that might be, uh, I tweeted out and some people didn't necessarily agree, but if you just look at the production, I mean, he's had plenty of opportunities. He's not the separator that, that we think we, that we thought we were getting. And I think he is one of those guys where you can definitely do better uh, at that spot. What are you, what were your thoughts on Keelan Cole's performance uh, given that he's, given extended look the last few weeks yeah he he's gotten a lot of snaps and really been that guy who should be taking over as 
the main target hog other than you know barrios gets a lot of his manufactured targets but other than that he's a guy who should be the guy uh with elijah moore and Corey davis out but he doesn't get many targets because he doesn't really separate that much um i think the deep threat part of his game is where you're hoping he would show up the most and we haven't really seen that from a separation standpoint creating those opportunities so uh, he's been kind of disappointing. I do have to say his blocking, especially these past few games, has stood out as really good. He's helped on a few Zach Wilson's big runs. Uh, then this week, some of the Jets' bigger runs. Uh, he does give effort and do a good job there. So at least he deserves some credit for that. But uh, he definitely hasn't been, I think, uh, hasn't stepped up as well as I thought we hoped he would, uh, especially on you know, what the Jets thought they'd be getting out of him with the – contract they gave him about i think it was five and a half million for this yeah. year which is which is pretty decent for a guy in his role so uh he's been, been kind of disappointing and i think that's why the deep threat type of receiver is the number one thing they need and, and you and i were talking about this before we started recording but what is that type main type of receiver that the jets need to add because you look at elijah moore and Corey davis i feel like in elijah moore you have your separator a guy who could run almost any route and separate it and separate on it pretty consistently, whether it's the short stuff, slant, intermediate, out, dig. Uh, he could, he's very good on, uh, you know, comebacks, curls, those type of routes as well. Um, and I think he can be a good deep threat, but he's got to handle all that other stuff as your go-to guy. I don't think that's ever going to be something he does a lot of. Um, Corey Davis is a good possession receiver, um, red zone threat good yak guy over the middle crossers digs things like that um so i think that deep threat is kind of that missing piece and cole is you know with everyone healthy kind of supposed to be in that role hasn't really done too well um so i feel like the speed pure vertical guy is the main thing that they need at receiver i i agree i think you know, I think last week on this podcast, I'm still a big Jamison Williams guy. Uh, I think last week on this podcast, I talked a lot about him. Obviously, there's been some Traylon Burks buzz, and I've kind of bought into that as well. I- I'm going to flip-flop a lot until we get to April. I mean, truth be told, I haven't. it's not like I've sat down and watched a ton of these guys. Just read their scouting reports, watched a little bit of them. I, I-, I- In terms of the archetype that you're looking for, and this is something that uh, the Bills did really well with Josh Allen, which they looked at his rookie year. Josh had a bunch of, you know, they, they, they surrounded with some big bodied receivers and not like they were the, I think they were like Kelvin Benjamin. So it's not like they had the best receivers, but they had big bodied receivers thinking, okay, we got this big quarterback. We're going to play basketball. You can lob it up to them. And what they realized with, with uh, Allen's inaccuracy issues is that, you know, what he needed was the guys who could separate guys who could go down the field. So you can take advantage of the deep bombs that he throws and guys who could really separate. So, you know, if, if Allen was off by a little bit, it's not going to matter as much. They go out and they, you know, obviously they ended up making the trade for Stephon Diggs, but before that they had a John Brown, they had a Cole Beasley. They went with that. You see this offseason then went Emmanuel Sanders. They have a clear archetype for the receivers that Buffalo has. And it's not just the system, it's the quarterback. So it's like, there's three different levels to you know consider here when you look to the to the offseason of what receivers should the Jets bring in. It's who fits Zach Wilson first and foremost, who fits the scheme, and what are the Jets missing? And it's like in terms of Zach Wilson, I think 
one argument is in college, he had those big body possession guys. You could win the jump balls. You could throw it up, throw it up to them. So, and the jets don't really have that. I mean, Corey Davis is a physical receiver, but he's not really a jump ball guy. That's a point for Traylon Burks, but I think he also, and this goes just right alongside the scheme. I think he could use a guy who could separate the scheme wants guys who can separate. And I think Zach could use a guy who's a true separator. Traylon Burks is a solid separator, but guys like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, their route running is superb. And those guys, specifically Jameson Williams, can give you that speed and that separation. And then when you look at what don't the Jets have, like you said, they don't have that deep threat, but also they don't really have that big bodied guy to bring. So they don't, they're missing kind of both. And, and, you know, they they could. Uh, go and get that defense, like you're saying, go and get a Jameson Williams. And then you invest in tight end and you can go get your big body possession tight end to go win those, those jump balls and those, those red zone opportunities. So it's a fascinating decision that they'll have to make, but I certainly think receiver is a position that is solid, but I think you want to take it from a, a B to an A or B minus to an A, whatever. They have to invest resources to surround Zach Wilson with as much as possible this off season. And I think the offense Honestly, the offense is in a good spot. And one more thing before we get to the defense, because we spent this entire podcast talking about the offense. I'm curious about the future of the offensive line in your eyes. Uh, it seems like the depth has gotten better. I mean, Dan Feeney is a guy that I thought would never be on the team again next year. But the way he's played, it's like, all right, you could bring him back as a backup center. He's been pretty solid. Uh, there are question marks on this offensive line. And not necessarily in a bad way. It's just there are questions. It's like, okay, what is Mekhi Becton going to be like when he's when he gets back? Is he going to be the left tackle or are you going to move him over to right tackle? Because Fant has been legitimately great at left tackle. He's having a breakout season there. Uh, Vera Tucker's a sure thing at left guard, knock on wood. Uh, what do you do with McGovern? $9 million cap hit. Do you try to move him over to right guard and draft Linderbaum? Do you keep him at center? Uh, not just Linderbaum. There's, it's a great center class in free agency. Like Jensen's available. There's a few guys available in free agency. So you could potentially go for an upgrade there. What do you do at right guard? I mean, Joe Douglas, Jamal Adams is never going to be topped as his best trade ever. That LDT trade, got to go. it's up there. I mean, that is one of the best trades, in-season trades that I've seen from a general manager. He, We had a massive hole at right guard, and we all figured, okay, well, this is we're going to have to figure, fix this in, in March. He trades a backup tight end to get a starting right guard who's performed very well, in my opinion. He's been a great scheme fit. And he seems like he's having a good season. And then he just goes and signs at the backup side end a few weeks later. Uh, is LDT a guy that you think deserves to start next year? So there, there are question marks. And what do you do with Morgan Moses? So there are question marks. I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on how the offensive line has played the last few weeks, specifically when you compare it to the beginning of the season, because there seems to be a big uh, development over the course of the season. I think John Benton deserves a lot of credit for that. And then when you look at the future of the offensive line, we know Joe Douglas wants to invest resources. They're going to win in the trenches. They want to have one of the best offensive lines in football. And they're not that, but they're not a bad offensive line at this point. And there's holes all over this team. So how much do you think the Jets should change their offensive line? I'm just curious to get your thoughts as we head into the final week of the season uh, uh, on the starting five for the Jets. Yeah, well, there are absolutely – a lot of questions to answer, but they're good questions and good problems that are much better than the alternatives we've dealt with in recent years. It's just a lot of, you know, who's going to play which side and do you resign LDT and great problems to have because we're talking about good players and good options. So the offensive line is trending in the right direction. And the past few weeks have been 
a great step forward really ever since they traded for LDT things have been trending up and even even before that there was a lot of good stuff going on and it really kind of felt like Greg Van Roten was dragging it down um but ever since they traded for LDT it's been trending up and the most impressive part about it is that even when the injuries have happened save for the Miami game when they really miss George Fant um the backup guys have come in and played really well Dan Feeney has been um pretty good in the run game I think um and Van Roten for as bad as he was in the beginning of the season he's come in and he's been good um so it that's really been impressive the past few weeks the way that they've survived the injuries um and only gotten better more cohesive um is very impressive and it's a testament to John Benton the O-line coach um and it really seems like this unit is starting to gel more as the season has gone on even as you know, again, some backups are coming in and it's not the same starting five playing. Um, but the LDT trade has been great. He's been a good starter. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. Just a lot of good problems. And in terms of Becton and Fan at tackle, I'm the stance that I think I kind of take is that I, I would like for both of them to come back and just have them split reps on both sides throughout the offseason, see what happens. Um, because both have a case to start left tackle because that's both where they play their best football, but they do both have experience at right tackle um, and see what happens. Fans play elite football there. Becton's shown elite potential there. So I say bring them both back, um, rotate them throughout the off season, uh, have them split reps between the left and the right and just let it play out. Um, and then LDT must resign. Um yeah, absolutely have to get him back. He's been a great scheme fit, obviously has built some camaraderie with the guys in there. Uh, and I think he'll be motivated to come back too. the Jets went and got him, gave him his chance. Uh, he's fit in here. Um, must resign. Uh, then center will be the, the big question. Um, can you find an upgrade in free agency or the trade market? I don't think they will. There aren't a lot of great options out there, but then the draft comes and that's where you can get uh, a Linderbaum in the draft. And if you get him, then you can cut McGovern. But uh, I feel like McGovern has played or, you know, before his season came to an end, uh, played well enough to warrant coming back as the starter next year if they can't find an upgrade, which potentially means they could run it back next year with the same starting five. So um, a lot of interesting questions to answer, but uh, they're in a, in a good place to really take that leap next year to be a legitimately great offensive line. How, I'm, I'm curious. I know McGovern's out for the rest of the year, but how, how good was he this year? Because he seems like a guy who underwhelmed last year, underwhelmed at the beginning of this season, and then maybe caught a bit of a stride and, you know, his PFF numbers were good. I don't necessarily agree with you in saying there's not a lot of upgrades out there. Obviously in the draft, there's Linderbaum and, you know, even a guy like Kenyon Green, there's they're apparent in the draft. And then even in free agency, guys like Brian Allen, Justin Britt, Ryan Jensen, Matt Paradis. I mean, not saying those are all upgrades, but there are guys out there if the Jets do want to make a change. I think the thing that was appealing about McGovern is he is a natural scheme fit. How do you think his season, you know, did play out? I mean, what were some of his strengths and what are some of the weaknesses? Can the Jets have a top 10 on O-line with the, the, the same group last year? And specifically when you look at Connor McGovern at center. Yeah, I think he really did have a good season. I think the pass protection issues kind of settled down a little bit. I, I would say he upgraded from 
bad in pass protection last year to average this year. Um, I think he's so good one-on-one when he just has to just the pure blocking aspect of it. I think he's good, but there were still some, you know, communication issues, pickups, stunts, blitzes, things like that. Um, so that's still an issue. It was for sure, but his run blocking is really good. I think that gets overlooked a lot, especially in this scheme. I think it gets max of uh, get really gets maximized hook blocks where he's got to kick outside, get around the three technique, pin him to the backside, um, climbing to the second level. His athleticism is great and it really does shine in the scheme. So I think you have a guy who's a top five to 10 run blocker, probably an average pass blocker at center. Um, yeah, I think that's the kind of season he's had. So I'm definitely a bigger fan of McGovern than most. Yeah, I think with the holes, and we're about to talk about the defense, uh, all across the team, I, I would not be mad if, with them running it back with their starting five. I mean, hopefully with Becton at left tackle and fan at right tackle or hell, even vice versa. But like you said, I hope they bring everybody back. I think they have to focus a lot on the depth. I, I would not be opposed to, you know, maybe you do draft an interior offensive lineman uh, or even a guy who can play multiple positions in the second or third round, uh, or, you know, day two or day three, excuse me, a guy who, you know, if McGovern gets injured or whatever, I think you want to try to bolster the depth of this unit. Uh, and day three is a really good day to do that. I guess when you have a guy like Joe Douglas to try to, you know, maybe get a backup tackle, just, you never know what's going to happen in the fan back situation. I think they should bring back Moses. Um, but I think they bring back their starting five up the depth, uh, and, and roll and just, you know, that's a position they're going to continue to, to, allocate resources to but this year i think you got to look to the defense and some of the other spots and then really quickly uh, i thought just to touch back on on kenny aboa the big thing that impressed me today is i thought his blocking was a lot better because he came out as a receiving tight end and it's a guy's like okay can he be a good blocker we saw the receiving stuff i thought his blocking looks much better at least from what i saw on tv um than what we had seen so that's a, a credit to the coaching staff and then also nick Bodden, i thought has been and you i think you tweeted this as well uh, it's been a, an underrated signing for the Jets in that fullback position. Uh, Wesco's been solid, but, you know, maybe he's more of a natural tight end. Who knows? But Bodden seems to be a guy who's kind of opened some things up for the Jets. Uh, and even when you go back and watch the, those runs, I mean, it is those tight ends and those fullbacks that are really – and those receiver blocking that's really crucial to breaking out those those big long runs. In addition to you go and, you go and watch AVT on any of those long runs, and he certainly a, plays a big part in it. Um, so for everybody who thought the guard was not worth the trade-up, uh, there's your your proof. Uh, the proof is in the pudding there. When you look at the defense, I mean, a respectable performance for sure against the greatest of all time. I mean, the last drive is going to taint it, but this is a team that not just offensively, but defensively came with something to prove. I mean, this is a team that wanted to get the upset. The pass rush, missing Quinn and Williams, obviously missing Carl Lawson. If they had any sort of pressure from that defensive line today, the Jets win this game. I mean, definitely. There's a few, if this happened, then they would have won. If Elijah Moore, if Michael, whatever. But defensive line is the biggest one because they really weren't getting much pressure with their four-man rush. They got a few sacks, and Tampa's offensive line didn't look too good. I think the biggest thing was you saw a big improvement in the run game. I think you saw a big improvement in most of their tackling. I mean, Gronkowski doesn't seem too fun to tackle. But, you know, we talked last week about when you watch San Francisco, how they swarm to the ball as they play as one unit all 11 guys. It is that all, all gas, no break thing. Uh, I think you saw that on Sunday where it's like, yeah, they might give you a few first downs, but they're not going to break. I mean, it's a bend, but don't break. Everybody swarms. They're attacking. 
Uh, and obviously Eckles got the interception. So he's turning into a little bit of a, a I don't want to say a ball hawk, but at least he's making some plays in the ball. Uh, Michael, just the defense as a whole, uh, starting inside and working your way out. What did you see good and bad? I think, like you said, the pressure was a, a big problem. One thing that did keep standing out to me was other than Bryce Huff and JFM, the edge rushers were getting, you know, not just, not only were they not doing anything, but they're getting ragdolled. They're getting thrown on the ground specifically by Tristan Wirfs, um, whether it was Tim Ward, specifically him, uh, Ronald Blair a few times. Um, so that's obviously not good. Uh, they have really missed Carl Lawson this year. Um, but I mean, the corners had a rough game. They got picked on quite a bit, but they also battled and they ended up making big plays later in the game. Uh, so I, I was impressed in a really tough matchup, how Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles look, I'm, I'm, they didn't play good ultimately, but they, it could have been a lot worse, but they kept fighting, um, and came up with big plays later in the game. Uh, so I thought that was impressive. Um, but the run defense was the biggest surprise in this whole game. Um, a dominant offensive line the Bucks have. Um, and the Jets, obviously, they're terrible run defense, but they actually were up to the task in this game and did a, a really good job. Uh, I'm curious to rewatch the film and see how that went down. But it just seemed like there was more. The defensive line was clogging things up a lot better. And that could have been a schematic change. Could have just been better individual play. but. Um, it didn't seem like running backs were hitting the hole as hard against them. It was a lot more indecision and it made it easier for guys to rally and make plays. So run defense, big step forward. That's, that's probably the most improved unit on the entire team in this game was the run defense. Absolutely. Is there anybody that you saw play uh, today that you think is working their way towards potential? earning a starting spot in 2022 you know guys like quincy williams jason pinnock ashton davis elijah riley brandon Eccles. i mean there's a few of those young guys who are playing that are going to be on the team next year could be competing for a spot next year but they're auditioning this year to try to to put their name as, as far ahead of the, the rest of the group uh when it when it comes to who's starting next year any of those guys stick out to you and say yeah you know i know you haven't had a chance to watch the full all 22 film but from what you saw on tv any of those guys stick out uh to you uh, yeah, I think there are quite a few guys who are putting themselves in that position because I think as a team builder, you know, as a team or in front office when you're building, you have to be objective and not just, you know, rely on, okay, all of our young guys are going to get better. You're going to try to upgrade as many positions as you can and not just count on your fifth and sixth round picks to get better, but you're not going to be able to upgrade everything. Every single offseason, it happens where, you know, we make our entire checklist of needs and not every single one gets checked off. Like last offseason, it was right guard um, and tight end. Not everything is going to get hit. So there are going to be a few positions where one of these fifth, sixth round picks, undrafted guys are going to be in line to start next year. And we'll see which positions those are. But I think there are guys who are positioning themselves uh, to do that. Brandon Eccles at corner, I think, is one. And I think that will be a priority and they will add another starter. But uh, he's put himself in position to at least be in that conversation if they don't add someone. Um, Quincy Williams, who I'm not the hugest fan of. I think he makes more mistakes than most people realize. But the big playmaking has 
been impressive this year. I think he's stabilized his game a little bit over the past month or so. Uh, he'll be in that conversation if they can upgrade that position. Um, but really across the board, I think, you know, a lot of these young guys have really established the, their roster spots, at least next year, even if, if they won't start. I think there are a lot of guys who you feel can be good depth and potentially develop into good starters or just good backups uh, if called upon in the event of an injury. So I, and I think that's the main thing you want out of these guys. Uh, when you invest in a waiver pickup or undrafted free agent day three pick is some, just someone who could be a piece on your roster. And they got a lot of pieces this year in terms of building out that back end of the roster. They need more top end talent. And I think that's the goal of this off season, you know, big free agents on defense, two first round picks to upgrade either side of the ball. Um, but they're building out that back end really well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, I look, I loved us. a lot of what Ulbrich did today. I think there was the frustration stems from, you know, I think the Jets have to lead the league in, in third and 15 plus allowed. I mean, the game changed on that third and 20 that they allowed. And that a lot of that is coaching. Um, you know, you can't necessarily kill him for allowing Brady to win it. I mean, I think there was that stat where something like he has like 70 game winning drives or something in his career or maybe even more. I mean, he just had a ridiculous amount of, of game-winning drives, and that's Tom Brady. It's the GOAT. I mean, we knew when that fourth and two didn't get – I knew that they were going to lose immediately. It was like, oh, well, if they had kicked the field goal, it was at least like, okay, maybe we'll get the overtime. And when they were going forward, it was like, okay, this is the game right here because if they don't get it, it doesn't even matter. Even when it was just like, you know, they had no timeouts and there was a minute – I think it was like a minute 20, minute 19, and it's taken down, and I'm like, they got no timeouts. They got to go 60 yards. I mean, he looks – like that, I, I know he's Tom Brady, but they don't have much time here. And he was just so calm. And the commentators, and they were like, oh, look how calm he is. And I was like, yeah, he's being stupid. He's just letting clock, you know, he's letting the clock drain down. Why isn't he getting to the line? He's working with no urgency. And then it's just dink, 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 touchdown. It was just like, wow, that was just <laughs> watching like a master at work. So it's frustrating. You can't kill him for that. I thought this was one of the better Jets defensive performances. And that says something considering they allowed 28 points and, and blew a big lead. Uh, the defense has not been able to close out games multiple times throughout this entire season because, you know, earlier in the year, it seems like the offense, the defense kept them in a lot of games and then the offense would sputter, sputter, and then maybe get a few drives going. And then the defense couldn't get that last stop. You saw it against Carolina, you saw it against Atlanta. You saw it a few times throughout this year uh, where the defense let them down in a big spot. Uh, and this was another one of them. And so that sucks. But like you said, there's some good individual performances um, and some guys who are in the roster spot for next year. Uh, before we get out of here, last thing, obviously some draft talk. I mean, this was a, a more of a recap podcast, so we don't want to get too into the draft stuff. But uh, with the loss, you know, uh, you know, it's funny because last week, I, I'll admit, I was at times cheering for the loss just because of the prospect of potentially getting that number one pick was there. Um, so it had a much more meaningful, you know, draft implication so i was kind of cheering for the loss especially when the jaguars on like the one yard line it was like all right zach wilson's already had a good game let them just punch us in here we can get the uh, you know we can get the higher pick obviously when you cheer for loss the jets win and then and then it was like well after that it was like okay well i don't care if you can't get the number one pick might as well go to upset the defending super bowl champions i was rooting for this game like it was you know week two or something fully invested in the win and of course they lose so i think the 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 secret now is just to cheer for them to lose from the beginning of the season and then they'll start winning 
Um, but Jets picking four and seven. Seattle, you know, they they won, but they don't drop too much. They only drop one pick. They play Arizona next week, so hopefully they can um, not drop any lower. Michael, when you look at four and seven, and we're gonna talk about this probably another two hundred times before April. But two top 10 picks, four and seven. Is there anybody in particular, any positions? Or what do you think? Uh, it's a little early to say, okay, and you don't want to draft this way to look at Like, okay, what position should the Jets draft? But these are elite blue chip assets that Joe Douglas has. And he probably won't, hopefully he doesn't have this situation again where he has two top 10 picks uh, unless he, you know, somehow trades for, gets another two first round picks. Because it's the fact that you don't want the Jets to be this bad again under Joe Douglas, barring a massive injury. Uh, and you're probably not going to have another first round pick for a while, unless you trade down from one of these spots, but two top 10 picks. This is a cornerstone draft for Joe Douglas. Last year was obviously a big one for him as well. Where do you think they should allocate that resource? Um, do you go on a player by player basis or do you look at positional value and try to say, you know, this is where we want to dump our resources into, um, do you have any gut feelings after we've spent the last you know few weeks kind of gearing into draft mode in terms of both of the top 10 picks yeah or? exactly what do you what do you i mean they got four and seven right now I mean, two top yeah. 10 picks i don't think the jets have ever had they had nine and 13 in 2013 but i mean this is a big franchise altering draft if i mean obviously last year was but this is a draft that could when you look at the Bengals, this is a draft that i'm not saying they're gonna be competing for the afc crown next year but this is a draft that could really turn around the franchise uh in addition to the 2021 draft yeah i mean it's it's as unpredictable as it's been in a while i feel like every year there's been one or two positions kind of new around the table but there are so many different ways that can go and i feel like we're not going to have a great idea until the combine plays out and pro days and all the entire process kind of clears the picture a little bit in terms of which particular guys they might be looking at. But uh, it's really hard to tell because there are not many positions that don't make sense. I guess the list would be quarterback, interior D-line, running back, and that's about it in terms of positions they they wouldn't – be uh warranted to look at and at the top of the draft so um my gut says they're going to lean towards the defense and if they do take an offensive player it'll be a receiver just because that's where the talent pool is and that's also probably the most warranted position for them to take unless i can get linderbaum um but i lean towards defense because i think that side of the balls has much less talent than the offense on their roster right now uh and it is a defensive head coach uh well from a defensive background um so i I lean towards defense probably being both of the picks but um if there's a good offensive value i think they'll absolutely jump on that but there they could there are so many different ways they can go any players in particular i mean picking at four you never know how it seems and like things might change a quarterback might flap the the rankings you were saying to me is like, why is nobody talking about Detroit taking a quarterback? And part of that's the weak QB class, but you're right. I mean, Detroit doesn't really have a future at quarterback unless you believe in Jared Goff. Uh, I find, I mean, maybe they could sign a mid-level free agent, but it, yeah, Detroit could take a quarterback. So you never know. Maybe, maybe Hutchinson or Kayvon is there. It seems like Kyle Hamilton could be there. George Karlaf, this is a guy that, you know, I think a lot of people are averse to him because it was, 
you know, it's like, okay, there's the top two edge and then there's a big drop. Don't just take an edge because you want an edge. But George Karlaftis is legitimately a top seven player in this draft. And if the Jets don't take him, I think he's, you know, either going to go to the Giants or I mean, he, he's going to be a, a top pick. So it's not just taking the third best edge because you want to invest in the edge. He is a legitimately very good player. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I, I've grown to like. I mean, obviously there are some issues in his game, but I like that he's 20. He's freakishly strong, arguably the strongest player in the draft. I think he's going to have a, a crazy strongest player pound for pound. I think he's have a, a crazy good combine. He's more technical than he's given credit for. Um, and, and he faced a ton of double and triple teams in the Big Ten against a lot of really good offensive linemen. I mean, he's really the only guy Purdue really have. Where you look at Hutchinson, he has uh, Adobo on the other end, and he had. You look at Kayvon, he has a good Oregon front seven uh, surrounding him. So it's like there are some things I really like there. I mean, does he have the same pass rushing repertoire? Does he have the same bend as some of those other guys? No, but again, he's twenty. So Carl Aftis is a guy that I tweeted that out, and a lot of people seem against him. And I was like, I would not hate Carl Aftis. And I, I've made my feelings known for Kyle Hamilton, how much I, I would like that pick as well. Um, is there anybody else on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, I guess we saw a few of them this weekend in the college football playoffs. Um, is there anybody else? And then the receivers, I mean, we're talking about what they're looking for. I mean, it doesn't seem like you're necessarily in draft mode yet, but I'm trying to get an answer out of you. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use the cop-out answer again that I haven't watched or researched enough yet, but I, I got to get there soon because I can't keep using this answer i gotta have hot takes to spew out just like everyone else who started watching youtube highlights in the past two yeah, weeks Yeah, exactly so. you, should, you should do what i do it's like speak before you've actually done any research and this is and then this is how you make your january and february well your january opinions and then you start watching in january and then you realize everything you said was wrong and then you have to yeah. change it in march before the draft yeah. that's my strategy yeah research isn't important you just just say stuff it doesn't matter um, but I, I think in terms of, num- I have looked at, started looking at some numbers, um, which I know yeah, isn't everything, but it is, you know, interesting research, but the, the, the guy who has the most dominant production out of probably any prospect in the class is sauce Gardner for sure. His numbers are incredible. His career gave up no touchdowns, nine picks this year. He gave up three yards a target. Um, so, and obviously he had a nice game this weekend as well. So, uh, yeah, numbers wise so right I, now, he's probably my guy. You want a hot take? And I was right about my yes. I had a very similar take last year. He's a top corner off the, uh, off the board. He goes ahead, Stingley. Uh, and I think he's a top 10 pick. I think he's, he's in contention for that Seahawks pick as well. Uh, and I, I would be happier with him than i would be with stingley which you know again this goes back to me not really watching as much but from what i've seen on him he's exactly the type of corner the jets need you know again i'm kind of of the mindset of go with either hamilton or kalaftis at four and then take the top receiver with the seahawks pick but i like him nicobe dean the linebacker from georgia seems like a perfect scheme fit um so there's it's a very exciting draft class for the Jets and that they have a real opportunity to turn this around. And, you know, while the, the win today would have been morale boosting and turning the program around, and that would have been great to beat the Super Bowl champions. I think you still got to see the fight in this team. You still got to see the development. This was not an embarrassing shellacking. And that's what I was afraid Mike could happen. That would kind of wreck the, the mood from last Sunday, but I think you have to be encouraged from what you've seen from Robert Sala's unit throughout the year. I mean, you said there's going to be adversity. 
Definitely more than uh, we anticipated. Uh, definitely more for Zach Wilson and the team as a whole. They were not as good maybe as we thought they were, but the last few weeks they've really turned it around to the, I think the type of team that we thought we were going to see, um, especially the last few weeks. And Zach Wilson hasn't thrown an interception in four games. He's the first Jets rookie to do that. I think he's the only rookie quarterback. Uh, he has, he, doesn't he, I think he has the second longest streak in the NFL right now of most, and like Grant, he's had a few that have could have been picked. Um, but he's done a much better job of protecting the football. A lot of guys are developing. The team is playing hard. I think you just like to see that they're finishing strong. They're playing good December, January football, which is something they're going to have to hopefully do in the next few years. So um, we're, we're, we'll do a mailbag this week, uh, answering some more draft questions and season finale questions. And I, I guess the, the sentiment for this week is just finish strong. This is, I mean, you can't knock Buffalo out of the playoffs. You can screw their home field advantage. I believe, I think you can knock them and, and put New England in their place. But I mean, do you want to do that? Um, and again, there's the draft stuff. But so all I'm looking for is another good performance from Zach, another tough team performance. The Bills are a really tough team and they're a team you're going to have to face twice a year and they are playing for something. You're going to have to play in the cold, con- you know, cold conditions. So this is not a completely meaningless game for the Jets. So there's a lot to look forward to uh, in my eyes. Uh, Michael, uh, you could, well, before I get to you, I guess I should say you can follow us at CYJ pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Narnia, myself, Ben W. Blessington, go to jetsxfactor.com. Best place to go for Jets content. Find us on YouTube at Jets X Factor. Michael, last words, any last thoughts on the Jets, the rest of the NFL before we get out of here? Uh, I, I think just, I think most Jets fans should be positive with just happened with what happened in this game. Uh, against Tampa Bay it was disappointing uh, it was probably as invested as we've been in rooting for a win this season just considering the opponent um, would have been a great win to have but uh, still got to keep your eyes on the goal and that's evaluation mode building for the future all that stuff and those boxes were many of those boxes were checked in this game and I, I said or tweeted this during the game that I thought that first half was their best half of football since the second half of the Detroit game 2018 considering the opponent obviously they've had better halves in terms of points yards or whatever but considering who they're playing the injuries the Jets had um it's probably their highest quality half of football and then they obviously carried it into the third quarter a little bit so a lot of good stuff happened and I think in terms of Zach Wilson and many areas of the team I think the last uh really since Wilson returned from his injury I think there's been a lot to feel good about. Yeah. I, I think if he, if he puts together another good performance against Buffalo, the narrative on his rookie season uh, will certainly be a lot different. I mean, you'll still have those people who don't really follow the jets that'll post his whole rookie numbers, but anybody who's watched Zach Wilson and the jets team as a whole from the beginning of the season to now can see the development. I mean, he is a completely different quarterback and he's doing a lot of things that you haven't necessarily seen previous jets quarterbacks um, do and that gives me a lot of uh, of confidence and, and optimism and hope but right now that's all it is you got to see the consistency you got to see it do it on a game in game out basis a season in season out basis um, so one more week for Zach Wilson to to shut up the haters one more week for this team to finish strong um, and one more week of this in-season podcast Michael and then we are officially in off-season mode which is I think when this podcast typically thrives uh, so a big fun off-season to look forward to it. So a lot to talk about. Very excited for the next few months. Thank you all for listening. Everybody have a great week. We'll be back in the middle of the week answering your mailbag questions.